0: me to Luke chapter 11. If you're visiting with us, we go verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, we do take time out for different series. As I mentioned, I'll be doing the Faith, Finance, and Freedom series in, uh, in uh, the month of February and Wednesdays, and I do some topical from time to time on Sunday mornings. But we're back in our Luke study, picking up where we left off with verse 24, Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 24. Simply raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We see that hand. Thank you. Uh, if we can bring a Bible to these folks. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 24, Jesus speaking, "'When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order.' Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it happened, as he, spoke that these, as he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it, And while the crowds... Were thickly gathered together. He began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah, for as Jonah became a sign to Ninevites, so also the son of man will be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. and Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Father, we ask again for your spirit now to speak through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There was a 10-year-old boy whose 18-year-old brother, upon graduation from high school, he joined a branch of the military. And He went to boot camp during the summer, and the 10-year-old, who had endured teasing and headlocks and noogies and harassment from his older brother, who never seemed to tire of pushing his buttons, upon returning from boot camp for a brief visit with family before being deployed, one of the neighbors who had seen the older brother arrive home the day before said to the 10-year-old who was out playing in the yard, looks like the military has made a brand new man out of your older brother. The 10-year-old replied, nah, he's the same pain he's always been, but they did give him a haircut and new clothes. (laughs) Hopefully, and likely, the 18-year-old will mature and grow out of the adolescent behavior, and someday they'll be close brothers. That happens a lot, doesn't it? But the point is, a person can change their appearance on the outside, there can be a surface change, and even a demeanor change, but what's on the inside will still eventually come out, won't it? The Lord desires, and thankfully He brings far more than exterior change, doesn't He? More than a lifestyle change, and aren't we thankful for that? What a blessing that God really does a full change inside and out. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Authentic Change. Authentic Change. And we'll look at three things from the text. Is is my typical practice, but not always. Lasting, keeping, and repenting. Lasting, keeping, and repenting. Let's look first at this lasting that Jesus uh, speaks of, and certainly um, when we look at a life, uh, there's a lot of times in life where people do go through changes, but most often they're seasonal, they're not permanent. But Jesus makes that permanent, lasting change. And we see here, uh, if you were with us last week, in the previous text, verses 14 through 23... What took place, just to set the context a little bit for what Jesus is about to say, uh, revisiting what we looked at last week, Jesus had just cast out a demon. Remember, the man was mute, unable to speak, and Jesus had cast a demon out of this man. He had demonstrated once again his power and authority over Satan and over the demonic world, which is a dangerous world. I mean, Satan has a lot of power. The demons have a lot of power, but Jesus tramples them underfoot rather easily. Because he, of course, is the creator of all things, even the spirit realm. We saw that those that were uninterested in Jesus being their Lord, the ones that were uninterested in Jesus being their Lord, uh, what they did in their attempt to you know, ease their own conscience, and their attempt to oppose Christ, they slandered Jesus and assigned his power to the satanic realm. Oh, you do that by demons. You do that by Beelzebub. You do that by the power of the darkness. You do that by satanic strength. That is not God. And so to ease their own conscience, and in opposition, they rejected the witness of Christ. Now after Jesus, as we looked at last week, exposed the fallacy of their assertions, and the fraudulent and even dark nature of their own demonic exorcisms, because they were claiming the power to do exorcism, and Jesus said, if you do, I have a serious question, where are you getting this power? Because you're rejecting me and that power resides in me, so therefore you are with the darkness. And of course some of their exorcism were just fraudulent as well. But he teaches something here about the demonic world that goes to the heart of really all rejection. It's He's speaking about uh, a demon that's been cast out, he's going to go into this next piece of teaching, but it speaks to really all rejection of Christ. What he tells the hearers here, he's speaking to the group, he continues to now expound and teach them, what he tells them is that if a person who is possessed by a demon, and there really is demon possession still to this day, some of you may have witnessed it in your life and didn't even know it, but there's still a lot of it. It's very predominant in other parts of the world. I think that we definitely are seeing some of that rise of demonic possession even in our own country. Uh, If you've read some of the stories, I've read some of them on some of our Wednesday night studies in Ezekiel, just some of the most bizarre things you've seen straight out of the Scriptures as like the man of Gadara. We've seen uh, people running around, even our own country, naked, biting people, just just things that you know uh, something is seriously wrong. And so demonic possession still exists and it can be manifested in a number of ways. But he tells this uh, group of people here that if a demon, demonically possessed person, were to have a demon cast out by Jesus, who certainly can do it any time, any place, he cast out thousands of demons in his ministry. If one of the future apostles were to cast out a demon, and we know they cast out demons as well, Jesus gave them the authority to go and cast out demons. If one of the other uh, anointed servants of God, uh, you know, we saw others in the New Testament that had the anointing for this kind of power. And there's still people today that God could give that anointing and does to cast out demons. But even if a demon is cast out of a person, their deliverance would be short-lived unless there was the accompanying repentance and salvation. It would be short-lived. I mean, Jesus, Jesus healed people that said, great, I'm healed, and never followed Him. Jesus cast out demons from some people who said, "Huh, this is a great change, but they personally did not put their faith and trust in him. So if a person who is possessed by a demon, even at that level, Jesus says even if he took the lowest of or the darkest of bondage, someone possessed by a demon, if they did not receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and repent and receive salvation, the change is not going to be permanent. But only if a demon is cast out, here's what it comes down to. If a demon is cast out, and the void that's there, because there will now be a void in the heart, if it's not replaced by the Spirit of God, and His law isn't written on the heart, then a cleaned up life will only last so long. Everything was swept up, everything was cleaned out. We see this often, don't we? I remember before I got saved, I got saved at the age of 26. Before I got saved, there was a number of times in my life, uh, particularly my teen years, I went away to a youth camp or something like that, Uh, and then I went about six years where I didn't even step foot in a church, didn't really, didn't even want to go in a church, didn't have a desire to go in a church, but I fell under conviction. I remember when I first got invited to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, I didn't get saved there until about a year and a half later. The odd thing was, every time I would go, I would get more convicted, and I would try and clean up parts of my life but not really get saved. I got way worse. My sin got worse. To the point I was like, I couldn't recognize who I was becoming. Now, it wouldn't show up on the surface, but I'm saying in my heart and my mind and the things that, that, that would be inside of me, I knew I was becoming worse. And then once I got saved, it was a 180. People, as I said, we see these changes. They're temporary. People make big changes, but they don't last, or they're equally or continually ending in failure. There's an interesting parallel with the demonic uh, situation that Jesus is talking about here. Like the demons, Jesus mentions that the demons, they would go through dry places seeking a place to find rest. There's an interesting parallel with people here. Because people also go through dry places seeking where they might find rest. Kind of interesting, there's a parallel with the spirit world and the human world. People will go through these dry places seeking peace and rest, but they're seeking peace and rest apart from Christ, aren't they? They're trying to find all kinds of ways. And the world has a lot of, you know, I, I, sometimes things, just the most simple things strike me. Like, I was watching a game yesterday, and a, and a commercial came on for a new Disney movie. And I was like, it's amazing. Like, and they, they paint the movie like it's the most awesome thing that has ever been released. And I'm like, it's amazing how much the world thinks that the next bit of entertainment will finally ease you. It'll be, this one will be the great, it will bring you three hours of relief like you've never had before. People try. They try leisure. They try education. They try to live for their careers. They try entertainment, and more entertainment, and more entertainment. They try immorality. They try drugs. They try exercise. They try yoga. They try meditation. They try medication. (laughs) They try various religions. You know, my friend Sam Nadler, uh, he was born in an Orthodox Jewish community uh, there in New York, and by the time he reached college age and he was a hippie, you know, heading to Woodstock and all that, he had become an atheist and he rejected all religions. Then he, then he realized that atheism wasn't working, and he started to try the different world religions, but they didn't bring peace either. So finally he went back to hedonism, and that's when he met Christ in Northern California. But all these things, people might for a time feel a little bit of rest. I've seen people go through these things. I went through some of them myself. Maybe you did too, but I've seen people try different things only to end up saying, well, that didn't work. I'm now more wicked than I was before. I'm now more in bondage than I was before. I'm now more in fear than I was before. I'm now more unsettled, more anxious, more this, more that. And now they have to numb it in new ways. And you wonder how people descend down, 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 down. Jesus is saying, when I clean someone out, but they don't have the Spirit of God come in, if they stay in that condition, they'll be seven times worse off than when they started. Not that that's a standard rule. He's just saying that this is a good example of what can go wrong. But if Christ comes in, there is no room for the darkness. No room for the darkness. The light of Christ drives everything out. And the failures of the past become the newness and freedom of an eternal change. Isn't that great? If Christ comes in, there really is a permanent change. See, the demons, they might leave a person alone for a little while. Or maybe even the enemy will leave people alone for a little while. But if they don't have Christ come in, they're coming back the temptations are coming back, the attacks are coming back, the assault is coming back, but if Christ comes in and drives everything out, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, and it was true then, and it's still true now, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Jesus makes it all new. The inside of the house stays clean. As Colossians 1:27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, where Christ comes in, there's no room for the demonic realm, is there? Jesus will not cohabitate in there. There's no room for it. Light and darkness do not dwell side by side in the heart of a person that God has changed. We're already seated in the heavenlies, according to the Scripture says, if we've been saved. When Christ comes in and His Holy Spirit takes residence in the heart the change is permanent. Now, we're certainly not perfected immediately, are we? See, if people get mixed up by this. They say, well, if the change is permanent, why do I still see some really serious flaws in myself? As I've said oftentimes, even for Christians, I love when Ray Comfort said it stuck in my heart, if God were to play all of your thoughts from the last week on the big screen for everybody, how would you feel? You'd run and hide, wouldn't you? All of us would. So the change, although it's permanent, the completeness of it is in in eternity future, if you will, but the outworking of it is in eternity present. We're certainly not perfected immediately. Not all of our flaws are removed overnight, much as we wish they would, much as your spouse wishes they were. But as we saw in Deuteronomy 7 with the enemies of Israel... The Lord does remove them, little by little, chunk by chunk, piece by piece. And what he starts, he'll finish with what the Bible calls sanctification, that cleansing process. Now, there is a salvation where we're cleansed from sin, but then there's a process of cleaning out. You know, when when you start a cleaning project in the house, typically you don't finish it all in one quick hour. It has to go in phases, doesn't it? Yesterday, my, my family and I, we were doing our family planning for the year of 2015. And when I, put, I was putting everything in categories and saying, you know, and, and my daughters started to see the laundry list go of like project stuff. I said, we will not get all those done this year. I'm telling you that right now. But we'll prioritize them. And we'll get some of them done. And God will do the same because he has a priority list in you and me. He said, these are the things that I'm going to knock off first. No more will you use my name in vain. Done. Right? Guy gets saved. He used to get, hit his hand with a hammer. Oh, here comes Jesus' name, but it's not in a holy way. The guy says, all right, that one's gone. Next one, you're not getting drunk anymore. Next one, see, certain things, they just fall right off. But then there's these other ones. Oh, you still have a temper, don't you? That one's going to take a little while. We're going to work on that. You still, oh, You still drift back into gossip. Let's, we're going to move that out of you. This is God, the Father and the Spirit and the Son speaking, the plurality of the Trinity. But these things will be done little by little. The world, the Lord will work on. Quite the opposite, again, for those that have tried to do it on their own, apart from Christ. I was watching the testimony this week of a woman. Uh, she, before she came to Christ, she went to drug rehab ten times. Ten times. Now, at some point along the way, you've got to realize this is a waste of money. This isn't working. Four times, five times, six times, seven times, eight times, nine times, ten times. Ta- ten times she went to drug rehab for addiction. But it was only, as her own admission, she said, only when I truly called upon the name of the Lord, I was set free. Never had to go back to drug rehab again. See, like the demon that comes back. With seven more demons, Jesus. This is not metaphoric. Jesus says this really happens. Jesus said this really happens. If if I cast out a demon, the apostles cast out a demon. One of my servants cast out a demon, and that person does not follow me, does not bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If they do not receive salvation and repent and turn away from sin, they are a candidate to be refilled, but not just refilled by the prior demon. Seven more are coming, and they're worse. And you could see someone who used to be involved in petty crime start to take people's lives and not have any remorse whatsoever. You ever see people like I see I see some of the things that I was telling my wife recently, I said, I watch the stuff that ISIS is doing, just beheading children. And I'm like, how do they even sleep at night? And then it dawned on me, it's like the Lord spoke to me. I'll tell you how. They're in such darkness, they're in such utter darkness. They don't have a conscience anymore. So their conscience is not, they don't have a conscience when they hit their head on the pillow. Their conscience has been so seared, so removed, they can fall asleep biologically and not have a care of the world. But if the Spirit of God comes in, then we're illuminated to evil. We're illuminated to wrongdoing. We're illuminated to those things. And we don't want those things in our life. We have the Spirit of God comes in, He fills us with the Spirit of the living God, and over time, He drives out all of the things that may not appear as really wicked stuff, but there's still separation from us and a holy God. By the way, Jesus also informs us, just as among men, just as among people take take uh, among human beings, some human beings are more violent than other human beings. Doesn't mean they're more of a sinner, but they are more violent and they are more wicked. Sinners, we're all sinners, but there is, even the Bible talks about this, there's going to be even levels of punishment in hell. There's levels of evil. Some things are more evil than others, although all evil is evil, right? Some foods are bad for you, any food that's bad for you is bad for you, but some are really bad for you, Right? And that's true even with evil. Well, even among the demonic realm, some demons are more wicked than other demons. Jesus makes that clear. Seven demons more wicked than the other one. Some demons actually perpetrate things like the Holocaust. There's even an evil hierarchy in in the satanic realm. And Jesus is saying a resistance to being transformed. Here's the point that Jesus is making. A resistance to being transformed. See, God wants to transform us all. When we resist transformation, there is the risk of greater evil. Once we know something, we're responsible for it. We have to react to it. Valley of decision, as the Scripture says. Proverbs 29.1 says, He who is often rebuked hardens his neck and will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy will suddenly be destroyed. Why? Because again and again the Spirit of God says, Repent. Turn. Repent. Turn. No. Not ready yet. Let's look at this next section that Jesus addresses here. Which I titled Keeping if you're taking notes. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. He said, more than that, blessed are those that keep, or, I'm sorry, blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus transitions here, tells us the importance of the Holy Spirit coming in, the importance of God taking residence in a life. And then as he's talking, someone says, hey, blessed is the woman, speaking of Mary, that gave birth to you, that nursed you. Now, I don't know if she knew it was Mary, but she's just simply saying, hey, your words are powerful, your words are true, Uh, blessed is the woman that God used to bring you in. And Jesus says, that's a blessing. And it's true, there's no doubt about it, Mary is the only person in all of humanity that ever gave birth to Christ. No one will ever have her role ever in all of history, right? There's only one person ever was granted that role. She was chosen for a very special calling in giving birth to the Savior of the world. But Jesus wants us to know that a blessing far greater than Mary's role is available to all humanity. Now, anyone that actually gets caught up in, in actually putting Mary on a pedestal should really read scriptures like this because Jesus addresses it clearly. Again, Mary had a very special calling, no doubt about it. And praise the Lord, she's in heaven with the Lord and she was given a great gift But the greater blessing and the greater position is to be redeemed of the Lord and saved by the Lord and experience the inward change that comes with salvation. See, we'll we'll not all have Mary's gift, right? We can all agree that we're not all going to have Mary's gift. I'm a guy, so I certainly wouldn't be able to have Mary's gift. But none of you ladies will either. But all of us that are saved... Will become kings and priests. Amen? According to Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, Revelation 5, verse 10, we'll all become kings and priests. And of course, in eternity future, we already are. And this will take place in the reign of Christ. We'll be kings and priests unto the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, women couldn't be priests. But they will be. Won't they? They will be. We'll all have a greater position and a greater call and a greater role than Mary's. Her role was important, but Jesus says, greater than that are those that hear my word and believe it and keep it. Mary being the mother of Jesus Christ, it would be next to meaningless. Think about this. Mary being the mother of Christ would be next to meaningless if he wasn't also her Lord and Savior. True? True. I mean, it would be next to tragic if the woman that gave birth to Christ didn't also put her faith and trust in him. Now, of course, she did. She did put her faith and trust in him, and she followed him herself, and she received salvation from the very son she birthed and nursed. And yet, she would go on to obey the Lord, and she encouraged others to be obedient to him as well. It was Mary who said, and John 2, 5, whatever he says to you, do it. Mary said that. Whatever he says to you, she didn't say whatever I say to you, do it. She said whatever he says to you, do it. She knew that those who are born again must become obedient to the commands of Christ, the words of Christ. And those born again according to Romans 1, 5. Now this is really, you should really take exhale comfort and confidence in this verse that Paul writes in Romans 1:5. Paul tells us in Romans 1:5 that we have received grace, get this, for obedience to the faith. Did you catch what that means? What a loaded statement. Paul says you've received grace not only for salvation, but you've received grace to be obedient. What does that mean? Without grace, we couldn't even be obedient. Isn't that true? When you wake up and you want to pray, that's God giving you grace saying, pray. When you wake up and you actually wanted to come to church today, that's the Lord saying, go. Cuz your flesh will always be there saying, no. When God says go, flesh says no. And then I was telling the uh, I was telling the folks Wednesday night, I've been saved, you know, going on 20 years in June. And when, uh, no, Thursday night, uh, when I went to the hospital to visit one of the ladies in here whose father is in the hospital, I, I didn't get there till it was much later than I wanted to get there. And um, when I got there, then I had to wait for another 30 minutes or so 25, 30 minutes because the nurses were uh, changing and I couldn't get in the room. And then finally, when I got in there and pray, and the Lord just did a neat work. But then when I was about to leave, I'm almost out the door there's one last room at the end of the hall one last room and I'm about to push the door to go home get something to eat and go to bed and I hear a lady moaning in this room and I didn't know she was 92 years of age and the room didn't smell good at all and I ducked my head in for a second I was like oh that smells horrible I don't want to stay in here and my flesh was, I, really, I had a laptop bag in my hand. I was about to walk out of the hospital. The Lord says, you can't walk out. Deep down, and, I, and three times I ducked into the room, back out of the room. Into the room, back out of the room. And finally I said, all right, Lord, I'll stay. I grabbed her hand. She squeezed it so tight, she says, please don't leave. And I ended up praying with her, and I didn't smell anything in the room after a few minutes. It didn't even It was like it was gone. The Lord removed it. Why is that? Because when we obey, the Lord says, I'll give you what you need. But it's only this grace of God that even makes you want to obey. I didn't obey because I was worried about being punished. I obeyed because I knew Jesus cared. And if he cares, I must care. You must care. Those who are born receive receive grace for obedience. 1 John 2, 3 says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The way we know we know him is we respond, yes, Lord. Not always immediately, but we get ourselves straight and we say, all right, Lord. Yes, I'll do what you've asked me to do. Obedience, by the way, it's not a work of the flesh. It's not pulling yourself by the bootstraps and saying, that's it. I'm going to be obedient in 2015. That lasts about it." A- couple of minutes, maybe a couple of weeks. What it is, what obedience is, it's the work and prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's a change in the heart that responds to the prompting of Almighty God. It responds to God's prompting. Thank you. (laughs) Pastor Chuck Smith, you guys, some of you from Calvary, other Calvary chapters, you know who Pastor Chuck is, right? He went, went to be home with the Lord. But he said this. He said, it's one thing to know God. He said, it's one thing to know of God. It's quite another thing to know God. See, you can know of God, and you'll never be able to be obedient to the commands of Christ. Because you kind of know of him. They're hard. They're difficult. I can't do it. You won't do it. And then, once you know God, here's how God is. He puts his arm around you and says, I'll help you do it. I'll help you do it. I love Jude 1.24. It's a verse that I've loved for years. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. He's able to keep us from stumbling. See, we want to be obedient, but we'll never be able to be obedient unless we're first saved. And then once we're saved, the Holy Spirit helps us. We've been given grace for obedience. We can hear the word, but Jesus says, blessed is not only hear the word, but keep it. But you can't keep it until you've heard it. And you can't just hear it. You have to believe it, receive it, and then he gives you the grace to be obedient. First John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Why are they not burdensome? Why? Because the Holy Spirit inside us actually gives us the same desires of God. He changes our desire. When you used to not want to do things that are spiritual in nature, you couldn't make yourself want to do them. You had to get saved first, then God changes the whole thought patterns. Last thing we want to look at this morning, repenting verses 29-32. through 32. He says, a crowd seeking a sign. He said, the crowd that answered together they wanted a sign from Him, and He said, this is an evil generation that seeks a sign. No sign is going to be given except the prophet of Jonah, or Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah came as a sign of the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. By the way, Son of Man is the title that Jesus used for Himself more than any other title. All the Scriptures refers to himself as the Son of Man more than any other time. God come in human flesh. God coming to break the bondage of the flesh. Jesus above all, born of man, but above man. He says no sign's going to be given. You're looking, for, you're looking for some great sign Jesus has already given. I mean, how many, how many of you have seen Jesus personally do the miracles that these folks had seen? Casting out demons, preaching with authority, healing people. Not just healing a couple of people, we're told that he healed thousands. I mean, how much evidence do you need? Change lives, disciples that have been transformed, all of these things, they have been given the power of Emmanuel in their presence. There was nothing more that Jesus needed to say or do other than say, come. But they needed more. And he says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with these men, the Queen of the South, who came up from the continent of Africa back in the days of Solomon. If you remember, if you studied the Old Testament, or if you studied the book of 1 or 2 Kings, back in 1 Kings chapter 10, that is when the Queen of the South, she came up and she came to see the glories of the kingdom of Israel under the reign of Solomon where God had blessed Israel fruitfully, materially, and the temple being built, and all of the things that God did that were really a foreshadow of the millennium reign of Christ. But she came up to see the wisdom of Solomon and said, well, I haven't even seen the half of it. She was blown away when she saw the glorious and great works that God had done for Solomon and through Solomon, she immediately praised God and praised the God of Israel what she didn't say was something like this. Show me something more amazing and perhaps I'll believe. And that's the kind of way people still respond to God. They fold their arms and say, show me more. I need more. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I heard what you said in John chapter 3. That's, that's pretty cool and all, but I need more than that. And Jesus says, I'm not giving more. I've already given myself. If you won't receive me and my witness... Yes, he could. Jesus, if he wanted to, he could change the constellations. But he's not going to do that because he's speaking to the heart, isn't he? Speaking to the heart. You have to want to repent. You have to want to change. You have to want to believe on the name of the Lord. Before there can even be repentance, though, there must first be the belief and the witness of God. You can't repent unless you first believe the witness. What do I mean by that? What do the Scriptures mean by that? Well, Take Nineveh. Who did God send to Nineveh? A guy who couldn't wait to tell them, right? No. He didn't even want them to repent. Jonah said, These, I mean, these Assyrians are so wicked. They skin people alive, they impale people, they have immorality, they have all types of uh, occultism. Jonah's like, if anyone deserves hell, it's them. Jonah would not have wanted to go preach the gospel to ISIS, or Boko Haram, or atheist, or communist. He wouldn't want to do that. He would say, and God says, you're going anyway because I love the whole world. But when he came, he just gave the witness. And the witness came from who? God. And if the witness is true and people believe on it, then change can happen immediately because the witness is true. Jesus is called the true and faithful what? Witness. That wasn't a trick question. (laughs) It's called the true and faithful witness. So the witness that Jonah brought, even though Jonah was a reluctant witness, the witness was still true. It would be like a doctor who may not want to give you certain news, but the news is still true. Correct? Then you got to do something with that news. And so Jonah comes and says, All of you, I know you're not going to do it. I know you're not going to repent. I know you're not going to repent. All of you better repent or you're going to be destroyed. Now I told you, now I'm going to go sit back and watch you get destroyed. They repented. Because they were like, at some level they believed that the witness was from God. Even a reluctant witness. And they repented. But Jesus said, in this your time, I've come. The literal power of God in human flesh. I've come among your midst. I've been the witness of God. I've brought the word of God. I'm the word made flesh in your presence. And you want more of a sign. I was miraculously born in Bethlehem. People have been transformed. Blind now see. Lives have been changed. Dads have come back home to their families. You've seen God restoring families and lives. And you look at that and say, Big deal. Change the stars. Bring fire down to heaven. Do something that really impresses us. And they wouldn't turn away from their wickedness. Why? First and foremost, these children of Israel that Jesus speaks to, they didn't believe the witness. They did not believe the witness. If you don't believe the witness, you're not going to care about your sin. See, when Jonah went to Nineveh, they not only believed his witness, but then they felt convicted about their sin. Child sacrifice? Lying? Stealing? I mean, these things, I'm not, I, I wouldn't even want to go into the details of the things the Assyrians were doing. Turn your stomach, and yet God was willing to forgive them of these things. And they felt remorse and sadness, and they put on sackcloth, they cried out to the Lord, they fasted. Why? Because they first believed the witness, and then they saw themselves in the desperate condition and on their way to hell that they were, and they begged God for mercy. See, until people believe the witness of God, they won't have any conviction. They don't believe the witness, and this is why people, um, I I, I think it was C.S. Lewis said uh, about those that are really, really well-educated, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but you'll get the gist, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said something to the nature um, that that the well-educated, they embrace non-belief the same way that the drunkard embraced the bottle. What does he mean? He means that when you numb yourself, you just don't have to believe the witness. And if you don't have to believe the witness, you can continue doing whatever you want. And that's what they were doing with Jesus. We don't believe the witness. Since we don't believe the witness, we still get to set the rules. And if we don't think this is sin, then it's not sin. And Jesus says, the witness is true, and your sin is still sin. But the king... Of Nineveh and all the people, they turned away. He even told the people, turn away from your violence, turn away from your sin. They repented and cried out to the Lord, and there was a radical change. Leonard Ravenhill said, David had one of the most blessed experiences in the world, and the blessed experience was that he was miserable about his sin. You know, the day that I got saved, it was a blessed experience because I was really miserable. I went to the altar and wept at Calvary Fort Lauderdale because I really realized that God had given me chance after chance after chance after chance, and He was still willing to save me, and I was like, I don't know why, but thank you. But misery over our sin, when it brings to salvation, is a good thing because then we don't have to ever worry about seven demons worse coming back, do we? We never have to worry about, will I be able to be obedient? How will I be able to do it? I remember sitting there thinking in my mind, I'm like, how am I going to possibly give up surfing on Sundays to go to church? I truly, I really thought, you think I'm kidding. I actually thought that. That was a big deal to me. And the Lord says, don't worry about it. I'm going to change your thoughts. I'm going to give you a new way of thinking. And of course, it all happened. Hopefully, you've seen that in your life as well. Acts 26.20 says that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Our whole life becomes, after we've come to Christ, if we truly believe the witness and receive the witness and believe on the Lord for salvation, we actually live a life of works befitting repentance. We're not working for our salvation, but we're working it out in a life of repentance. Jesus himself said in Matthew 3:8, He said, "Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, that our life should be fruit that actually comes out of a continual repentance." I have to repent day after day, week after week. How about you? What was it? Now my salvation was a one-time occurrence, but my sanctification, re-repenting for failures, is an ongoing thing. And you actually get stronger over time, but yet you still will see more dirt. Because God makes you more mature and you see things you used to overlook. But it's not a work, it's not beating yourself down. It's God changing you day by day, month by month, year by year. See, God wants wants a change in us that is authentic, doesn't he? Authentic. Do you hate fake stuff? Do you hate when people act fake? Do you like to buy a fake product? When you buy something authentic, you want to know that it's authentic. Those of you that bought your wives an engagement ring, you hoped it was a real diamond, right? That that certification meant something. The Lord wants to bring authentic change to our life. And he brings then the authentic and life-changing gospel to others through our redeemed life. Our authentic change brings authentic change to others. You saw as we laid hands... On Trevor, his wife's authentic change brought authentic change to him. Now, she didn't save him, but God used her as an outflow of her authentic change touched someone else's life. And everyone here, you already are touching lives and will touch new lives in the future. And as we walk in authentic change, we will affect authentic change in other people, not because of us, but greater is in, uh, he who is in us than he is in the world. And here's the thing in my closing point. Let's not try and strive to be authentic. You say, well, are we not supposed to be authentic? No, I said let's not try and strive to be authentic. Let's do it this way. Let's humble ourselves, simply humble ourselves, ask Jesus for his grace, ask him for the power of the Holy Spirit, ask him who is faithful to help us, and he will make us authentic for his own glory and for his love for the world around us. Amen? Amen. Instead of striving to be authentic, we ask him. The same way we asked for salvation, we ask for his help to grow in grace, to be obedient, to be authentic. Instead of saying, that's it, I'm going to be authentic. No more, being, no more being false around here, these parts. This, this is going to be an authentic guy from here forward. When I didn't want to go in that room, I didn't say, that's it, I'm doing it. I said, Lord, help me to not even be bothered by this stuff. And it fell away. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you're the one that affects change if we would believe your witness. We know your witness is true if we would call upon the name of the Lord and humble ourselves and not ask for more evidence but simply receive the supernatural given word that you sent over 2,000 years ago when you came into the world and shattered the darkness with your birth, your miraculous life, your death on the cross and your resurrection. And Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that is still in darkness has tried to make numerous changes on their own, it's failed, is still looking for peace, is still looking for rest, has partially believed your truth, but today, Lord, has been revealed to them that everything you said is 100% true. Lord, I pray that you would call them by name, even right now, into your kingdom.